The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have not been paying attention when you were just talking to me. Got it. Do you think that you could repeat the question? And I listen more attentively. I don't even know if my sponsor's up. I got nothing. Half an hour early and I'm still not ready. Hilarious. I'm such an idiot. All right, should we get this show on the road? We got a good cast in today. We do, we do. We haven't got time for bop bop bop. Yeah, we can make it do the bop bop bop, but how deep the fight is that? It's one of the few candidates I actually like, believe it or not. Although I'll be getting 20 texts from all the other candidates. Am I one of the ones you don't like? They're also thin skinned. They all throw bombs in public, but you say one thing about them, they all cry. I was going to have uh, uh, Liz, what's her name, Liz Reardon? What's Shannon Liz Reardon. I was going to have yeah. Shannon Liz Reardon, I'll talk about that in a minute. It's driving me out of my mind. All right, let's get this show on the road, shall we? Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here at the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, atop Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. We've got a great guest in today, Paul Tucker. He's a candidate for Essex County District Attorney. We're going to have some real questions. I know a lot of you are watching debates online, and you're watching debates. You're going to debates. You're watching them on TV of all the different candidates running for office this year. Most of them are really not debates. Most of them are forums. Whenever they have, they have like the candidates in, and we're going to have a real debate in August, but whenever they ask the candidates in, it's one minute for this to answer this question and a 30-second follow-up. And then they ask things like, how are you going to solve global warming? 30 seconds. But nobody can answer that in 30 seconds or a minute, right? So our debates are real, and um, we're going to have a, uh, a great debate in, uh, on August 25th oh, for the Senate candidates. We're looking for one more sponsor. We've got AFC Urgent Care is sponsoring the debate, which is going to be great. Um, I want to thank our sponsors for this show, AFC Urgent Care, Century 21 McLennan Real Estate on Broadway in Methuen, Marsan and Sun Construction also in Methuen, EIS, Investigation and Gun Training, also in Methuen. Uh, while we're in Methuen, let's talk about Borelli's Deli. Best, you like hot sausages? I've been there twice. Oh, you have. you got to go in and ask for the Valley Patriot hot sausage. All right. Because they have, like, the regular hot sausage, and then they have the hot sausage. They have the regular sausage, then the sausage that they put out that they call hot sausage. But if you want really hot sausage, that's in the back. you got to ask for the Valley Patriot hot All sausage. Right. And uh, say hi to Don when you're in there. Tomo and Shaken Seafood. We love Tomo. I don't know if you've, if you've been to Tomo right here in Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, great hibachi food and great sushi, too, by the way. Hard to find great sushi around here. A free shout-out to Clear Path, New England, uh, Clear Path for Veterans, New England, Sullivan Insurance, and also Lazy River Products. You guys are all, 
all worked up about uh, what's going on in the country, the gas prices, how much money it's costing you for, for groceries. You know what you do? Take a couple of bucks, go down to Lazy River Products, get yourself some cannabis. They'll take care of you. And you know what? You won't have any problems after that, honest to God. Um, Pleasant Valley Landscaping, Dave Idconsoli, good guy. And a, another shout out to JG's Ice Cream, which is right across the street. And that's, uh, I'm actually, for the summer, I'm actually going there when I leave here. Before I get to Borelli's, I go there, I get my ice cream, and it's always gone before I get to Borelli's. So, um, who, do we have anybody else? All right, we've got everybody in here. Yeah. So, we've got, uh, here in the studio, we've got a great guy. I've talked to him a couple of times. I've met him at Estella Ray's fundraisers. And I like to go to all these fundraisers because you meet candidates that you normally wouldn't meet because candidates go to other candidates' events. Uh, we were trying to get, what is her name again? Shannon? Liss Reardon. Shannon Liss Reardon. She's a Democrat running for Attorney General. So I was at uh, Estella's fundraiser at Miller's Tavern a couple of weeks ago, and Shannon was there, and she passed out some literature. And a friend of mine, a police officer friend of mine, asked me if I could help her and get her on the show. So um, I was going to go over and ask her to do that, and she passed out her literature. And I looked at her literature, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, what in the hell is this lady talking about? Like, her top priorities were like, Rooting out systemic racism. And, and like all that like liberal stuff that means absolutely nothing. You're never going to root out racism. Honest to God, you're not. And your job as attorney general is to like go after big pharma for addicting people to like medications and you know, going after corrupt politicians and going after banks that are stealing money. That, that's your job as attorney general. So we were sitting there. Long story short, I want to get to Paul in a second, but I'm sitting there and I'm reading this. I'm talking about it with my friends at the table. She had to have overheard the conversation because I went over to her and I said, hey, can I ruin your day for a minute? Like with a smile on my face, I'm joking. And she said no and ran away from me. Like she literally said no, pivoted on her heel and ran in the other direction. And I was like, okay, well, I guess we're not getting around the, I guess we're not getting around the show, which is kind of too bad because those are always the most fun shows. When I have somebody in here who's like a total left-wing lunatic and they really believe what they say they believe in, and then getting them here and talking to them about it from another perspective is always fun for my audience. In the studio, though, we don't have that today. We don't have a left-wing lunatic. He is a Democrat, though, and he, he, he has voted on some, some pretty liberal things. Um, uh, just a, a little bit of advice. Police officers are supposed to enforce the law, not make the law. So when police chiefs say, hey, we should do it this way, if cops had their way, they, would, they'd be, they'd, they wouldn't need a warrant to search my home, right? If they had their way, we, nobody would have guns. So anyways, um, Paul Tucker is here. He's a candidate for district attorney. He's a former Salem Mass Police Chief. He went through the FBI Police Academy. I'll let him talk a little bit more about his, his uh, creds. But uh, before we start, we'll, we'll take a couple seconds, tell people who you are, give them a little bit about your background and why you're running for district attorney. Sure. Thanks, I appreciate it. And thank you for the invitation to come on. I know, you, I know you have a long reach and... and Frankly, this is a great opportunity for me to come up into the Merrimack Valley and, and introduce myself to folks, you know, to the extent that I have any name recognition. A lot of it is down at the other end of the county. Although but you, I, you don't need name recognition with a name like Paul Tucker. Well, I like hope that's, not. You know, that's an easy name yeah. for politics, right? Well, it's, it's, um, it's, it's been great, though. I've been coming up here a lot. I've been to, to Lawrence, to Haverhill. I've been all over Methuen, and the folks we've been meeting have been phenomenal. So a bit about my, my background. I had a 32-year career with the police department in Salem, Mass. 
class. Uh, the majority of my, of my time on the PD, I was a detective. And for 19 of those years, I was the captain in charge of the detective division. Um, there wasn't a case I didn't see or, or oversee. Um, I was a very active police officer. Uh, we had an excellent detective division, excellent police department. And one of the reasons why I am running for district attorney is I think that I think the DA is, is frankly, it's the chief law enforcement officer, but it's also the job to stand up for victims of crime. And as a detective, I can tell you that I sat at people's kitchen tables, I sat in the living rooms and talked about the impact of crime on their family. Honestly, several times, more than I, I ever wanted to, I had to give bad news to families that they had lost somebody to crime or to, a, to a, some type of a, of a drug overdose. So you learn a lot of empathy in that. I was appointed police chief in 2009, and I like to think that working with the men and women of the department, we did a lot of innovative things. We were one of the first departments to mandate having Narcan in the hands of the officers. Um, I created a special unit called the Community Impact Unit, dealing with folks with mental health issues, substance use issues. In Salem, we had a fairly significant homeless population. And what we would try to do is get these folks some services rather than bring them into the station, bring them to court, Repeated behaviors like this would earn them a spot at Middleton House of Correction, spend a couple months there at the cost of thousands of dollars a month, and then they would present back on the streets of Salem with the same issues that they went in with. The other thing we did um, is something that a lot of departments are now just starting to do. We hired a couple of mental health clinicians, and not to replace the police. And I want to be clear about that. So we hear a lot about this defund the police, which I am 100% not in favor of. I think we need more police officers, frankly. God bless you for that. But I also think that there is a role for mental health folks to work with police officers because I think there's better outcomes. And in Salem, I can tell you it's worked. Our officers like working with these clinicians. They go on, on calls where there's mental health issues, where there's a chance to de-escalate something. And then we increased their responsibilities. If somebody overdosed in Salem and they were discharged and sent back home, they got a knock on the door the next day from a police officer and one of our mental health workers offering help. Sometimes people took it, sometimes they didn't, but at least they knew that somebody cared. Right. And um, after doing a lot of those things, I oversaw a budget of $11 million, 120 employees. Uh, managerial experience is important for the next DA. Um, I'm the only candidate in the race that has managerial experience of over 100 employees and all of the HR issues and things that go along with that. Eight years ago, I ran for state rep. I've been the rep now for eight years. I've served on every committee that I think touches upon the job of the district attorney. I've served on the judiciary, public safety, homeland security. I currently sit on the mental health substance use disorder and recovery committee. I was the statewide co-chair of the juvenile commission on adolescent crime and had a really robust, strong uh, recommendations that we made, trying to keep juveniles out of the system when it's appropriate. Sometimes, sometimes folks do things that, that they have to go into the system. It's just because of the nature of the offense. But sometimes we can use good common sense and discretion. Everybody makes mistakes as kids. The longer we can keep somebody out of the system, I think the better off it is for that person and for society as long as it's using good, sound discretion and, and good, good measurements. So you're running for district attorney. Tell people at home what a district attorney does. If people watch Law & Order, a lot of people watch Law & Order. They know Jack McCoy. They know he's the guy that prosecutes. But, but give us a little bit more about what does a district attorney do? Like, what are your day-to-day functions? Yeah, it's one of the biggest questions I get. And frankly, a lot of people don't know what a DA does. 
you know, you, you, you have the TV image of, of the Perry Mason moment that right. I hope I'm not dating myself. And yeah, some, you yeah, are. I hope you... I, I would have said Colombo, and well, I'm still dating myself. We, we can do Colombo. Law and order works as well. Um, it is to prosecute cases, but the job of the district attorney himself or herself is to lead the ship. It's to, it's to lead with integrity. It's to put the vision of the office, where you want to go with it, set the parameters, see what the common sense decisions are. It's the job of the assistant DAs to be actually in the courtroom. The DA also has to be a voice for victims, has to be a voice for, for making sure that any law changes have, have good common sense results, fighting for budgets, fighting for, for more uh, things to make sure that we, that we are compensating our assistant DAs at the rate that they should be. Up until only a couple of years ago, some of our DAs were making $35,000 a year. That's outrageous. They had, they had law school loans that were more than a year's pay. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we've been able to bump that up. And as a, as a legislator for the last eight years, I've worked with the DAs. I've worked with them on, on criminal justice reform. I've worked with them on, on compensation. And frankly, to be honest, um, I've actually uh, worked very hard on making sure that our bar advocates and, and public defense counsel are appropriately compensated as well. The system doesn't work if it's lopsided. We, right. we do need fair, it's an adversarial system, but we need to compensate folks on both sides of that equation to make sure we get the best and brightest that we have. And the guy running against you, or the guy that you're running against, is a, is a, is a defense attorney. So people in Essex County really have a choice between a law and order former police chief who's going to hopefully stand with the cops and stand with law enforcement and stand with victims versus a defense attorney who stands with the criminals. And we've seen how that worked in California. We see how it's working in New York. One of the things those prosecutors in those states won't do is prosecute illegal aliens who commit crimes. And we even have judges that are sneaking illegal aliens out the back door who are then committing more crimes after they're sneaking them out. If you become just an attorney, are you going to prosecute illegal aliens who commit crimes? Yeah, so let me just say, if I can just backtrack one piece, Tom, and I'll take that. So I've received the endorsement of the Massachusetts major city chiefs. It's the largest 35 departments in the state. I received the unanimous endorsement of the Essex County police chiefs, unanimous. And I, I learned yesterday, it's not going to be announced till next week. I'll give you some breaking news here. Excellent. Um, I have been endorsed by the State Police Association of Massachusetts. Nice. So to your question on prosecuting undocumented immigrants, let me just say first, and I'm, I'm going I'm to flip the equation for a second. We had a case in Essex County where uh, a judge uh, said that he was not going to uh, sentence an undocumented person because of his status. And he actually said that if you were an American citizen... I would be sending you to jail. That's infuriating. So I wrote a letter to the local newspaper in Salem, and there was some interesting conversation, some robust conversation. My feeling was that what that judge did obviously was wrong. I think it undermines confidence in the system. It's about fairness. Right. If, if somebody deserves a break, a break, and I'm talking on the lower end of the crimes, whether it's trespassing, you know, drinking in public, um, some type of minor, minor theft, and it's a first offense, Sometimes people do things that they will never do wrong again, and that person deserves some type of a second chance. I agree with that. And I think that should be across the board. Right. But I don't think that there should ever be a blanket policy such as the former DA in Suffolk County said, that she had a non-prosecution list. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that's a complete non-starter for me as well. So to the question, if somebody commits wrongdoing and they deserve a break, I'm talking on the lower end of the offense, we can give them, I think we give them an appropriate second chance. We have diversion programs I'm happy to talk about. But if somebody, regardless of their status, and by the way, 
folks in, in any of the communities, they don't want dangerous people in their, in their communities. Right. It doesn't matter where you're from, right. what, what, your, what your country of origin is. I've never had anybody tell me from anywhere in this great melting pot of Massachusetts and the U.S. that they want somebody from their homeland who's committed a bad crime to not be punished for right. it. So I, I think that it's a question of fairness. I think it's a question of common sense. And that's a lot of what the district attorney should do is exercise that discretion that comes with the job and make sure you do it fairly. My biggest frustration with John Blodgett is that when I call the police chief in any community that I cover and I say, you guys just arrested somebody on whatever bank robbery today, can you send me the mugshot? The answer that I got from Methuen's police chief Solomon, the answer I got from Chief Vaskin Lawrence, the answer that I got in North Andover was... The district attorney won't allow us to. They've sent us, he's, the district attorney's office sent us a letter saying it's illegal. Now, it's not illegal because if it was illegal, other, other counties in Massachusetts wouldn't be releasing mugshots, right? Because if it was illegal, it would be a state law, and there's no state law. So it's really, the lying aside, it's really they don't want, uh, they don't want the mugshots out for whatever their real reason is. If you become district attorney... Will you allow police chiefs to release mugshots? I think it's of paramount importance that people in the community get to see who it is that's committing crimes in their, in their community. So it's my understanding that under the public records law, if somebody filed a Freedom of Information Act, unless there is some investigatory exemption, and that's on a case-by-case basis, mugshots, police reports, all of that is, is discoverable by the public that they can see it. Now, I have not had that conversation with District Attorney Blodgett, so I don't know what the reasoning is. I will have that conversation now that you've raised yeah, please this. Please do. But it's, it's my understanding, and I, I looked it up as recently as last week, that mugshots and police reports, unless there is some exemption that applies, they are discoverable and they, they can be released to the public. I, I've released mugshots when I was looking for somebody as a detective. Um, sometimes you might want to ask for the public's help in those things. And as I said, and, and I'm not here to second-guess D.A. Blodgett, but I will have a conversation with him, find out what the, what the, uh, the reasoning is, taking, taking what you're, you're and, representing. And, and I don't want to file a public records request to get a mugshot. If the, guy kill, if the guy shoots somebody today in Lawrence, I want the mugshot for my story today. To do a public records request, you've got to wait 10 days. It's not news anymore, right? And so this is the kind of thing that people in, people in politics, people in government, these are the tools that they use to not be transparent. And so what I'm looking for is someone in Salem shoots somebody tomorrow, the cops pick him up, and he's going for arraignment. And I've got the story before the Tribune or anybody else, I, and I post the story without a photo, it's less eyeballs. We all know how the media yeah. works. If you've got a photo, it's, it's more eyeballs, more people see it. Yep. I want the police chiefs to be able to, in real time, not have to wait for a public records request and wait 10 days before they release something. Just release it. Yeah, and if, if, the, if the fact is, and I read, there was a... Um there was a judge's ruling, I think it was in 2017, I found a Globe article uh, where a judge said it should be released. Unless there was some exemption for it, I don't see why it shouldn't be. Again, I'm not second-guessing the DA, I'm going to ask him why. Um, but I will say there has been a few law changes as well when it comes to information and Corey protected criminal offender record. Um, if somebody is arrested now for domestic violence or some type of, of an assault of a sexual nature, a lot of those, those arrestees and, not, and then defendants when they appear before the court, um, their, their identities, and it's, it's a tricky balance, are sometimes redacted because they don't want to be able to identify the victim of the crime. And that's a, that can be a very tricky balance. Mm-hmm. I start off with, Tom, that the public has a right to know. That's how I start off. 
and then unless some other exemption applies. Mm -hmm. um, as a police chief, I was very transparent with any, any type of records. I think we were one of the first ones in, in Essex County that I know of that we put our police log online, and the, the reporters used to have to come and pick it up uh, prior to us right. going and computerize. And then we would sit, we actually send it to them. So they have it right That's there. That's great. So, That's great. Yeah. So now pol police chiefs, uh, police departments all over Massachusetts, all over the country, are putting cameras everywhere. They're putting cameras everywhere, which I, it, it really rubs me the wrong way, but I'm one guy and I'm never going to stop it. However, now that they're up, it seems to me that if we're really going to have transparency, that the public should have access to those cameras, that those cameras should be streamed online. So if I want to go and I want to look, if I get told that there was a shooting yesterday on Lawrence Street in, in, in Methuen, and I, I want to be able to go online, pull up the video, and see what happened, even if it's just the aftermath of the cops showing up or the guy running away. Um, should, they be able, should that be a public record? Should, should the video feeds of what's in public, because nobody has, I mean, nobody has an expectation of privacy in public, right. shouldn't those, if the cops can watch us and then encrypt their scanner so we can't listen to what they're doing, shouldn't we at least be able to see their feeds? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you partway on this, Tom, and, and I'm probably going to part ways with you a little bit. So in, in many countries, I'll just use Japan as an example because I've seen a documentary on this. They have public cameras everywhere mostly to, to handle traffic, frankly. Mm -hmm. So you could go on and say, you know what, I'm going down to 5th and Main, and you can pull up the, the camera and say, okay, you know what, uh, traffic's gridlocked, I'll go the other way. So I think that's acceptable. I think England has cameras everywhere. Right. So uh, let me just tell you a, a little story. A very wealthy community just outside of Boston had cameras up, and they had them all over the place. And it's a, it's a, big, it's a big town, it's a town, but they have town meeting-style government. There was a sexual assault of a very, very tragic, tragic incident. Uh, a woman was, was kidnapped off the street, um, dragged into a truck, assaulted, and literally dumped out of the truck. Fortunately, she survived. What, they, what the people didn't know was the police had cameras. They were able to go back. They looked in the archives. They found the truck. They were able to isolate the license plate number, and they end up making an arrest. But for those cameras, that case probably never gets solved. Right. So here's where I'm probably going to part ways a little bit. I'm not sure that the public should have access to that under, under a FOIA request because what we don't want is folks to start looking and say, okay, oh, you know what, now I can look at that license plate. So that might fall into that investigatory exemption. And I hope I'm not splitting hairs here, but you also have to allow police to do their job. So I think when appropriate, I think the cameras should be public. We have cameras in Salem downtown. We have them on the waterfront. Um, but remember, too, that the best technology can sometimes be used by people who have ill intent. Right. Well, that's so, why I'm against the cameras to begin with. But okay. if they're going to have them, at least the public, who is the police boss, should yep. have access to at least most. Like, even if it's just somebody who wants to know if their girlfriend's cheating on them and they want to pull up a feed. That, well, she said she was at the Methuen Mall and they pull up and they see her on Broadway. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the public, if the, if the, if the government can do it, because the police is the government, if the government can do it, I think the public should at least have, have access to some of it. Yeah, so let's segue one more piece on that, police body cameras. So it's an open question now whether the, the footage that a police officer who was recording during his shift, does that fall under the public records law that the public has a right to see it? Damn well should. Well, I don't think it's been answered yet. So there's a few parts to that. So let's say a police officer is um, interviewing a victim of a sexual assault. That's a non-starter. The public should see that. The officer's going to turn that camera off. I agree. But when they turn it off and on, they're taking a private break. Um, they're eating their lunch. Should that be shut off? How much of this should the public have the right to? 
and in, in how close to real time should they have it. So as, as police chief, I used to have to approve any records request, and I always came down on the side of transparency. But people would come in and they would say, um, I want the last 48 hours worth of 911 tapes. And, and you really can't ask them why, but sometimes people just wanted to listen to it. It's a tremendous amount of work for one person that does our IT to go back and do that. So how do we say to them, well, we can't give it to you, but somebody else wants it? There are so many questions here that have yet to be answered. You also touched on something. I think you made a fair point on the privacy. So that, that police department I told you about that caught those two sexual assault suspects, the public, when they found out about it, did not say thank you to the police department, great job. At the next town meeting, they took a vote and ordered all the cameras to be pulled out. Wow. Because they said it was a big brother, you know, overseeing things. I get that, too. When you have cameras in a public setting, which we do in Salem, we have the waterfront covered, we have some downtown uh, places covered, and you're right, there's no right to privacy if you're standing in the middle of Salem's townhouse square. But you also have to have rules for the police officers because they can control those cameras. Mm -hmm. And what they are not allowed to do is to start zooming in and looking on people who are in the privacy of their own home, which is well-founded that you have a right to privacy in your home unless some either Fourth Amendment or, right. or some other statute would, would prevail. But we all know that any technology that is used by the government or even a private company is going to be abused by somebody, right? There's going to be somebody who's going to come along who has access who can zoom in on a woman changing in her bedroom or reading somebody's mail in the front seat of their car. I mean, I've seen what Lawrence has for technology. You can literally zoom into somebody who's sitting at a light and read their mail on their front seat. That's how that's how good high definition it is. And... and I grew up at a time we didn't have cameras everywhere, and I get if you want to have cameras at like busy intersections, right. a high crime neighborhood. Um, although I'm, I'm not too sure I like the idea of having it in a neighborhood, but I'm willing to at least entertain the idea that it's okay. It just seems to me that what horrified me about England a few years ago is now here, and you know there are people who there are bad cops out there. I'm pro cop, right? There's nobody's more pro cop than me, but there are bad cops out there who can use it for all kinds of nefarious reasons, even if it's to stalk somebody or, you know, to spy on their ex. You know, uh, we, had a, we have a Methuen cop that was fired 10 years ago because he was stalking his wife, his ex-wife. And if he had access to that kind of, that kind of technology, that could have ended a lot more badly than it did. That's why you need strong, strong police leaders and, and strong supervision all the way down the line. I can tell you that in, in, uh, in Salem, in our control center, um, we have two superior officers in there, at least one at all times, most of the times two, and their job is to make sure that people are following the rules, and that has to trickle all the way down. We know human nature. We know sometimes that, that people do things that they shouldn't, and if they don't, then there has to be a price to pay for it. In case anybody was ever thinking about it, there has to be a deterrent effect to it. So when John Blodgett was running the first time, I think it was, I'm going to date myself here because he was, I think my first year in radio in 1999 or 2000, 2001, somewhere in that time. I asked him what he was going to do about people who file fake restraining orders, false restraining orders, people who lie on police reports to get even with someone or to get a leg up in a a custody battle. Um, I've had three restraining orders filed against me. I beat all three. I'm probably the only guy in Massachusetts to beat three restraining orders because they were bullshit, right? Right out, right out of the gate, it was all three of them were provably untrue, but they still took my gun, right? I still had to wait to go to court. I was still unarmed for a period of time. I still had to worry about my name being in the paper, and I also still have to worry for the rest of my life that somewhere down the line, even though I was exonerated on all three, that that might come back to haunt me somewhere down the line. 
I asked John Blodgett the year he was running, the first year, if he got in, would he prosecute people who file false 209A reports or police reports on someone, man or woman? And he said, absolutely, Tom. You, you've got my word, Tom. Well, he's been in office since then. It's 2022. And I called the DA's office about a year ago, and I asked them, how many, how many people have you prosecuted for filing false police reports or false 209A reports? The answer that I got was zero. Mm-hmm. So at the risk of repeating my mistake 20 years ago, 22 years ago, are you going to prosecute people who try to abuse the process? All three of the women, they're all in my family. All three of the women who filed restraining orders against me, they paid no price at all. And in one of them, I proved in court she was not just wrong but lying and she was never prosecuted for that. And my life was upended for a period of time. And a lot of guys out there have dealt with the same stuff. I want you to prosecute people who break the law. And that's a law. And I want you to prosecute it. Yeah, that's an easy one. I'll tell you why. Because when we have somebody that's trying to pervert the system like this, it, it undermines the integrity of the system. And frankly, the vast majority of 209s and, and police report, criminal reports to the police, the vast majority are true and they're well-founded. Absolutely. We should also acknowledge that sometimes they are not true and they are used as a, as a uh, some type of a, 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 not a literal weapon, but a figurative weapon against right. somebody to get back at them. Right. If you let those things go, I think that undermines the system. Right. So uh, in, in these cases, and I've seen it in policing, I just, I just saw a video the other day, a woman made a, made a terribly false ac- accusation, I think it was a state trooper in, in Texas, um, claimed that, that, he had, that he had sexually assaulted her in the cruiser. Fortunately, they had the video from start to finish. She was charged with a crime, and I would charge that person with a crime. But for that camera that the officer had... He'd be done. And that's The rest reputation. of his life would be ruined. The rest of his life. And it's the same thing with somebody who has a restraining order taken out against him. Now, you mentioned the firearm piece, and I think that's important to note here. So we know that under the 209A, there's the box that the, the firearms are confiscated. If it does take a day or two to make sure that, that you find out that somebody has nefariously used the 209A, that person needs to be charged. But I also understand that from a public safety standpoint, the police really should take take all precautions and make sure that I know even though it may be it may be not only inconvenient to the person, but it, it may actually hurt them that they've got to they've got to uh, hand over their weapons for a short period of time. You can do an investigation a fairly short period of time and you can make it right and, and make that person, you can restore them whole again. Mm-hmm. So it, it does definitely bear some watching. You do have to take a look at it. Again, we're talking about a very small number here, uh, but in those cases, that small number can do an awful lot of damage to a person's reputation. And right, now I'm going to get you in trouble. So John Blodgett has prosecuted zero politicians in Essex County for corruption. Zero. Can't tell me in 22 years there's been zero corruption in Essex County. We've watched Willie Lantigua and Lawrence. We've watched it. I won't go down the list of corrupt politicians that we've had. Jim Jajuga right down the line in the Merrimack Valley. None of them have ever been prosecuted for the political crimes that they committed, whether it was stealing money from the public, whether it was hiring people that, weren't, uh, that were related to them or friends of them or people buying jobs. We've seen it happen. We've watched it happen. And no one's ever been prosecuted. Will you as district attorney pay attention to the political corruption and go after politicians that are breaking the law. It's gonna, if you say yes, you're going to make enemies because it's, a, it's, a, it's an insider's club. The, the politicians in Massachusetts, you guys all go to the same fundraisers together. You guys all raise money from the same people. You all go to the same events. So it's, it's, I know it's a long buildup, but um, 
Are you going to go after politicians that break the law? So let me just say first, um, you mentioned some names. Uh, I've known Jim Jujuga for a long time. I'm sure you have. And, and I'm going to tell you that I, I believe he's a man of integrity, and I've done a lot of work with him. Fair I, enough. I, I worked with him on, on policing issues and political issues. To your point, a crime is a crime. Some agencies are better equipped depending on the type of crime, and this is not a dodge. I'm, I'm going to make a point. Um, sometimes the, the federal authorities are better equipped to handle whatever that, if it's large-scale corruption. Sometimes the attorney general is better equipped. But I will tell you that I think law enforcement agencies, when, when criminal activity is uncovered, a lot of times you may want to meet with the feds, you want to meet with the state and determine who is best equipped to go forward. I will tell people this. I'll boil it right down. If there was a crime in Essex County that needs to be investigated, it would be investigated. There's a state police unit that is, that is assigned specifically to each DA's office, some of the top investigators in the state. And if they brought evidence to me or un, evidence was uncovered, I, I can't imagine a scenario where we would do nothing. Well, it's music to my ears because we haven't seen anything for 22 years. And I really liked John. When he first ran, I really thought he was going to be like a real law and order guy. And in some, some areas, he was. I'm not going to take that away from him. I actually kind of like some of the things that he's done. But the things that he didn't do, I think, were far more important and, and had far more of a long-reaching uh, problem. So you're going to be, uh, if you win the district attorney, what are, you, what are your priorities as far as what you're going to prosecute? I mean, it really comes down to discretion, right? You can prosecute what you want to prosecute and not prosecute what you don't. Yeah. That's a, that's, I think that's probably the essence of the best question that, that we've gotten. And the DA's office has an incredible amount of discretion, whether to prosecute, whether to charge, not to charge, um, how, what type of charges have come forward. So first and foremost, I think we need to make sure that we address mental health substance use disorder issues. And I think that for way too long in this country, we were punishment-based. It was all about punishment. I think we missed, and I say we, I mean nationally, I think we missed the treatment piece. I think we missed the rehabilitation piece. I think we also missed for a while uh, working with juveniles, trying to keep people out of the system. John Blodgett, I think, has done a tremendous job in the area of juvenile diversion. John put some tremendous programs together. Yeah, but, but do they work? I mean, I watched his anti-bullying thing. It seems like you're shoveling money out the window. It yeah. really does. Because first, you can't measure it. So you can't tell whether or not what your, your anti-bullying program that you spend tons of money on, whether that's ever going to stop anybody from bullying. Like, I've never seen a bully watch a video in school and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to start picking on Billy tomorrow. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it is... Um, Do I you think, have to vote? I think... Uh, nope. So far, All so right. Good. He's a state rep, and yeah. he's, he's, they're in session, yep. so... But we're here. Um, but I do think that the juvenile programs work. I do. And I've seen John has a very successful program that he runs at, at uh, the Breed School in Linz called the All-Stars Program. Here's the problem. And, and, and you said, Tom, that you can't... You know, is it, is it measurable? A lot of times you can't measure what doesn't happen. So you've got, let's say you run a, a, a summer camp for at-risk youth. You've got 50 kids in the camp. By the way, this week, John's running a camp for 200 kids, a summer day camp. If those kids who are, who are in this at-risk category, if those kids never offend, they never come up on the radar screen, how do we measure that? Mm -hmm. It's difficult to do. A lot of it's done anecdotally, frankly. Um, but I think you get a sense of, of if we're doing something right. So uh, in 2014, when, when I got first elected state rep, uh, there were 15,000 men and women in the DOC, in the State Department of Correction System. That number today is at 8,000 because they, we've gone to more program-based. 
And if the crime rate, we know that we're seeing some spikes now, uh, not so much in Massachusetts. By the way, in Massachusetts, I believe we are still number one per capita in the lowest incarceration rate. We're also number one in lowest gun violence, number one in the nation. So I, I think on the, we, on the lowest incarceration rate, you say that as though it's a good thing. I actually kind of think it's not. Yeah, I think we, and it's not if the crime rate was spiking because things would be going in two, two different directions. We haven't seen that. So I think we're a lot smarter on crime. And if I could just add, I hope it fits here. Um, I've actually done a lot of work on reentry on folks that are coming back because 98% of the folks that are, that are, that are incarcerated are coming back. And, and as somebody said to me, and it stuck with me, better outcomes for offenders are better outcomes for society and public safety. I, I worked on, on a project with a group up here called UTEC. They, they do amazing work. I got, some, I got some money for them. They do work behind the bars before young men, and I say young men because that's what this pilot program was, getting these folks ready to reintegrate into society. So when they're within six months of getting out, they work with them about a place to live, about getting health insurance, about getting their state ID. The alternative is they step outside the facility and say, where do I go? They go right, right back to their old ways. Well, we see in Lawrence, we see people who get out of prison, uh, out of Middleton, get dropped off in a van downtown, and the van drives away. And so now what is that guy going to do? Like, where does that guy – we've watched it happen. We've watched the van pull up, let five people out, and they're literally wandering Essex Street at 7 o'clock at night looking for cars to break into or someplace to go sleep. Recipe for failure. What, what the programs that we're doing now, these reintegration programs, those folks would have a place to live, some job prospects. Let's face it. The, the unemployment rate right now is really, really low. In Salem, we are begging for people to come to work in every sector across the board. This is an opportunity for these folks. I, I met a guy yesterday. I was at a fundraiser last night, and I had a young man come up to me. He said, do you recognize me? And I'm looking at him. I couldn't quite place him. I had arrested him many, many years ago for a lot of drugs distribution. He served a lot of time. He's been out for three years. He came over to shake my hand, and he said, I just want to tell you how well I'm doing. I'm a union electrician. I just got married. We had our first child. That's all in the past. I just want you to know that people can change. It made me feel good. Yeah. And he wanted to make sure that I came, came right over and shook my hand. He said, I was nervous. I said, you made my night. It's too bad that's the exception and not the rule. We though. need more of those. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. We've got about, oh, we've got three minutes left. So why don't you make your pitch? Why, it, well, first of all, your election is going to be settled September 6th. Yeah. There's no Republican in the race, although I'm feverishly trying to get somebody to write in. Because <laughs> I don't think anybody should run unopposed, even if it's my candidate. Yeah. I don't think anybody should run unopposed. But you've got no Republican in the race. So technically, unless someone wants a write-in campaign, uh, September 6th is where it ends. And it's, it's going to be you versus the defense attorney. Make your final pitch. And this is going to run consistently for the next week, audio and videos. So. Yeah. First, Tom, thank you for allowing me to come well, on. I, I appreciate love it. Love having you. So 32 years in law enforcement. The DA's job is the chief law enforcement officer. Eight years at the State House. I've worked on every piece of criminal justice reform. I've had the seat at the table. I've worked very closely with the Black and Latino Caucus. I know budgets. I know managerial things. I have a lot of common sense. Let's face it. I've never prosecuted a case, but neither has my opponent. Neither one well, of he us. Defend, he defends criminals. You he, are putting them in jail. He, defense bar is an important part of the system, right. but he was never part of what I call the prosecution team. Mm -hmm. I stopped counting at 1,000 the amount of cases where I was part of the prosecution team. I was on the domestic violence team for the DA's office. I worked case prep. I was in the courtroom every single day for every day of, as a detective, um, you know, and, and having a law degree. Now, I've been a lawyer for 21 years. 
I think you should have let off with that. Yeah, I know. I, I, you know, it's funny. My wife keeps telling me to say that because yeah. people say, ask me, it went done with you a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for 21 years right. and I'm actually in my 22nd year. Well. I teach criminal law. I teach criminal investigation. I teach at Salem State. I teach at North Shore Community. I was at Endicott College for 12 years. Something had to give. So I gave Endicott up. I kept my other two. I have what I think is the breadth and the experience to take on this job and to be ready on day one. It's, it's a job that I think everything that I've touched upon, I've had a 40-year career in public service. I want to continue. I want to build upon what Kevin Burke did and what John Blodgett built. I'd like to build upon the next and keep it going. And I asked the, the, um, I asked the, the voters of Essex County to take a look. You know, I, I am not just a law enforcement officer. I'm not just a politician, although my, my opponent's saying is um, uh, experience over politics, as if he's kind of wiped my 32-year career right, in law right. enforcement clean like it never happened. Well, he's a left winger. To him, you're on the side of the cops. That's not experience. That's, that doesn't count. Well, I think it makes a difference then when we see the Essex chiefs, major city chiefs, state police uh, are all endorsing me. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, proud to, I'm proud to stand with them. And I've been proud to stand with every community that we have in, in Salem and in Essex County. I've lived a very public life. I've made votes. People can take a, take a position on votes I've taken. I've made decisions. My opponent, as far as I know, works in a two-person law firm. Um, he's never had to take a vote like I have. He's never had to. I don't think he's well, ever he had to. He defends criminals. Well, it, which again, and, and that, that's an important part of the system. Right. But if you purposely go into, it's like Deval Patrick willingly defended a cop killer, right? He wasn't assigned the case. He took the case. And when I look at defense attorneys who defend criminals, it, to me, it says something about who they are because they could have gone into something else. But they chose to defend criminals. And even though we do need, everyone needs a lawyer when you get charged or something, it's those who choose to commit criminals that I have contempt for. Well, I think we do need a strong system. It's an adversarial system that works best when there's strong advocacy on both sides. All right. Paul Tucker, how do people get in touch with you, make a donation? Do you have a fundraiser coming up? So paultucker.org, we have a nice, easy website, paultucker.org. It comes right up. There's a bunch of different buttons on there. You can see pictures. You can see what I've been doing. Uh, sign up for my newsletter and um, take a look at my candidacy. And if you think that what I've done aligns with the job of the DA, I ask for your vote. And, Tom, you're right, September 6th, I'm hoping we get a good turnout. It's the day it's after gonna be Labor a ve- Day. It's going to be a very low turnout. I so hope- it's all going to be about getting your people out. I hope people get out and vote. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Paul Tucker. Uh, PaulTucker.org. And um, hopefully we will see you. If you win, will you come back like on a regular basis, like quarterly or something, to give us updates about what the DA is doing? I'm as transparent as anybody. I've lived my life in the public. I would love I that. I'll come back as much as now, anybody. You can't be like me. Neil Perry. You can't say you're going to do it. And then when it becomes politically tough, because I said something controversial and people oh. give you crap about it, oh. you still got to come. You can check, we're going to hold you to your word. Check my record. All right. I don't, okay. I don't duck anything. You can roll that up. Thank you, Chrissy, my fine, fine producer, for a great show today. August 25th at 3 o'clock, we're going to have a debate in the state Senate race between Pavel Payano, Una Ziegler, Doris Rodriguez. And we're looking for sponsors. AFC Urgent Care is already in. We need two more sponsors. Uh, reach out to me on Facebook or email at valleypatriot at AOL.com if you're interested. Appreciate Paul Tucker being here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of voting for you. I'm actually really close to like convincing myself to vote for you, maybe even endorse you. I appreciate it. Although I have to say in full disclosure... The Valley Patriot newspaper does not endorse candidates. However, I do. So I know people think that it's the same thing, but it's not. I want to thank our sponsors, McLennan Real Estate Century 21 on Broadway in Methuen, AFC Urgent Care in North Andover in Methuen. They've got, AFC Urgent Care has got um, new immigration screenings and physicals for free. 
So go down and see Lisa Williams at AFC Urgent Care. Marsan and Sun Construction, EIS Investigations, Morelli's Deli, Tomo and Shaken Seafood, Lazy River Products, and JG's Clear Path for Veterans New England. <laughs> we got it into the post, Chrissy. Melvin Taylor said go home, so go home already. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.